The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Provoke Podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor, and I'm joined today by Amar Chohan, the managing director of creative intelligence business and Contagious, um, one of the smartest outfits around in, uh, in, in providing creative intelligence events, um, and consultancy to the marketing industry, in my humble opinion. We're great fans of Contagious. Um, Amar's now on his second tour of duty with um, the firm. His advertising journey began in 2010, and between stints at Contagious, he spent a year and a half at a startup accelerator come business builder called The Sand Pit, um, where he advised early-stage businesses on commercial strategy and sales. Um, gained experience of angel investing and mentorship for startup founders and his responsibility at Contagious now spans operations, legal, commercial, digital and marketing and he's worked with um, some huge clients including Aviva, Mercedes-Benz, Google, Unilever, Disney and Nike. That's quite a roll call of clients there. Amar, welcome to the Provoke podcast. Hello Maya, good to be here. Um, Yeah, thanks for joining us. Now we were meant to be doing this exactly 11 weeks ago but something kind of got in the way in the shape of your new baby girl right that's right yeah <laughs> yeah exactly. we were meant to be doing this i think it might have even been at a, the exact time that we were supposed to be recording the podcast that she popped out so 1109 and i think we were due to start at 11 a.m so um yep yeah, she got in the way um and yeah it's taken a, a while to get get it back in the diary but yeah it's been a fun times for me um, in, the, in the last 11 weeks with uh, our little daughter. Oh, well, congratulations on becoming a dad. How, uh, quite apart from that major life change, how's this year been for you? Um, it's been interesting, of course, as it has been for everyone. Uh, challenging at times, I think, um, in a contagious context for the business. Um, we're doing surprisingly well. We've managed to weather the storm and Obviously, everyone's taken to, to working from home um, really brilliantly. And of course, it looks like we're doing that for another six months at least, uh, or yeah. up to, they say. Who knows, right? Um, but we're doing okay. I think for me personally, it was it was quite nice to be at home with uh, my wife. We got to spend uh, an unfettered period of time together for a while before we became the three, um, which was, yeah, of course, 11 weeks ago, as we said. Yeah, silver linings and all that. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're all okay. Uh, it's like everyone's just like, are you okay again, aren't they, with this kind of yeah. okay? Situation. Ready for the next batch. Oh my goodness me. Um, now, I've t- I talked a little bit uh, on in the intro about your career over the past decade, but um, you were had a rather different career path originally planned. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I was supposed to be a lawyer, Um so I kind of finished college, did the A-levels and fairly naively went into a, a law degree and then also the legal practice course and then found myself at a law firm um, with an actual paralegal job. Wow. And then quite quickly realised that I just did not want to do this. But being from an Asian background, um, no one's ever going to deter you from being a doctor or a lawyer. Um, so no one ever really said uh, I should consider other options. But yeah. I found myself working uh, at a law firm, extremely unhappy, not enjoying the work and realised that I didn't really have the patience or the passion to, to, crime, uh, to climb sorry, the, uh, the legal ladder. 
Um, and so, yeah, I made a bit of a, a sharp exit, um, which then led me to the advertising world. Um, equally as worthy, I guess. Uh, well, that's quite a jump. <laughs> I don't think we see many former lawyers in the uh, in the Marcoms industry. You know, what? I've actually come, come come across quite a few. I think there's a lot Have of people you? that did law and then just realised it was it just wasn't for them. Yeah, I, 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 when I when I mention it to people. Uh, I quite often hear that they know someone or uh, I bump into others that, that have. Yeah, surprisingly so. So yeah, it makes me feel better that I'm not the only one that gave up on it. <laughs> I wouldn't see it as giving up on it. I'd say <laughs> you, you've probably just found your vocation slightly later than uh, than you thought. But um, yeah. it sounds like you're... Tell me a bit about your role at Contagious. It sounds like it spans loads of areas. It does, yeah. So um, I actually started out at the business in one of the most junior roles in the business. So I'm selling subscriptions to the quarterly magazine that it still publishes to this day. And um, I was commercial director by the time I left around six years later. Um, and then I went back um, after a year and a half away. There was a new team, um, a new CEO that joined and asked me to to return to business and, and, and help us kind of set us on a, a new long-term um, growth plan. Um, so yeah, the stuff that comes across my desk is, is a whole range of different things from um, commercial, finance, um, looking after our office when we were in it and, and um, negotiating our lease. We moved to a big new office last year, which now feels like um, maybe we should have not. Um, and then yeah, digital and marketing um, as well. So yeah, a, a broad set of responsibilities. Um, I, uh, I get involved with um, a little bit of everything. What's your favorite bit of the job? Oh, good question. Um, I think it'll always be the, the commercial element. So helping our uh, revenue growth and retention teams um, do their job as, as well as they can and coaching and, and, and managing them um, to, to be as, as, as great as they can be. Um, we've got a specific reason, quite in fact, it's lovely to chat to you. We've got a specific reason to talk today because obviously... Uh, apart from embarking on fatherhood and a pandemic, this year's also seen resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. And we're going into Black History Month um, in the UK. And I wanted to talk to you because you've got you've got some really good tips on how brands can align themselves with the BLM movement in a meaningful and authentic way, avoid it feeling like they're getting on a bandwagon and and are really doing the right thing in the in the current environment um i know your central proposition to all of the the stuff we're going to run through this morning is that actions speak louder than words which is something we've heard a lot you know in the in the pr agency world we've there's been a a real uh, sense that this now has to move in terms of racial equity and um getting past the systemic racism in the industry past policy past having a a dni person and into actual action in in um in making sure that agencies kind of turn stuff around and of course looking at looking at brands from your perspective it's quite a, a complex minefield to to navigate isn't it to get this right and and not uh, and and not do the wrong thing while you're trying to do the right thing if you see what i mean yeah it really is. Um, and, and brands have got to tread carefully, but I think doing nothing um, is probably worse than, than trying to do something, um, mm. unless you, of course, make a monumental uh, faux pas. But 
there's still some debate around whether brands should be aligning themselves with um, with the matter at all. And my stance on that is that it's resoundingly that brands should be weighing in on the issue uh, because it's it's just too important not to. Um, mm. Some people say that brands shouldn't be getting involved in politics, and I'd be inclined to agree with that um, if the brand has no meaningful role to play there. But this isn't just about politics. It's not liberal, liberal or conservative or um, Democrat or Republican. Um, it's about racism and intolerance, and mm. those are societal issues, which means that they apply to everybody. So tell me, tell me what your Tell me what your thinking is around how brands get this right. Run me through some of your tips, if you like. Well, I think that that maximum action speaks louder than words, as you said, is, has never been more pertinent and so important. Um, what brands do is going to have to transcend marketing departments in order to make a real impact. Mm. So it's no longer going to be enough to, to post a black square on your Instagram feed like we did um, see so many doing um, a few months ago or releasing a strongly worded statement of support. It's really time uh, for brands to walk the walk and, and turn all of that kind of um, woke washing into affirmative action. And mm. I think it was our favorite marketing celebrity, uh, Fernando Machado of, of uh, Burger King, who made a, a plea on Twitter to the creative community to not send him another idea for a stunt um, to show that they support the African American community. And instead he wants brands and companies to hire more Afri African Americans for, for their agency um, and to help them evolve their diversity agenda um, at the company. It's about action and not ads. And I think that sums, um, sums it up perfectly. Um, what's great is that is that's being backed up by Burger King's parent company, Restaurant Brands Inter International. Um, and they've made a commitment to ensuring that at least half of the candidates that they're interviewing for jobs at their um, offices and their branches come from a demonstrably diverse background. Um, now, that's not prescriptive. Like, it's not about not doing any marketing and just doing initiative, um, just doing um, kind of uh, behind the scenes and internal initi initiatives. There's going to be some creative opportunities for brands to get their message across. Um, those, those definitely aren't going to go to waste. Um, but the biggest piece of advice would be that they need to put their um, money where their mouth is to show that they really do mean business on this matter. Yeah. Um, and all of the best examples that I've seen are more than just marketing. Um, they've somehow aligned to investments or programs that are actually aimed at solving the real challenges that are faced by um, the black community. Um, so the tips from me would be to make sure that whatever you're doing is, is backed up um, with investment in black communities mm. um, and a deliberate and systematic quest to get more black people into roles across your business from top to bottom. Um, but in addition to that, to fix the issues that you have across all aspects from your, your business. So the supply chain for your business, um, who you seek um, investment from and who you work with on that front. Um, because if you don't address these things, if there's even a tiny sniff that what you're doing seems superficial, in today's day and age, it's going to get exposed and there's going to be a, a PR shitstorm to have to wade through uh, as a result. And we saw, I think it was Oatly, wasn't it, a few weeks ago that 
um, have been subject to some fierce criticism and even a boycott boycott among some customers because they've uh, sold a, a significant stake to uh, a private equity business that has ties to the Trump administration and um, some pretty uh, other pretty unsavory groups that don't really align with um, the, the the values that people should have when it comes mm. to equality and, and racism. It's really interesting, isn't it? How, like, I mean, your first point just links to money. It's really interesting how deep you're going to have to dive into the business and how how much you're going to have to invest or rethink your investments. But it was a very conscious decision to make this, that there's a commercial aspect to this, which I don't think many people would have would have considered that it goes so far beyond uh, expressions of support into like how are you how are you even planning to grow your your business and your and your brand if this isn't really embedded at the level of institutional investment I mean that's that's kind of extraordinary shift in thinking so far beyond as you said marketing initiatives and PR campaigns and um, you know to- token hires if you like it's it's really fundamental isn't it it, it really is and I always, I always say that brands exist with the permission of society. And if you want your brand to be bought by the black community, um, and if you employ black people, which you absolutely should, you've got to play a role in correcting the imbalances and injustices that have gone on for far too long. And that means going really deep into your organization and figuring out what it is that you need to do. It, it really isn't that, that, that superficial um, kind of message that, that you, you refer to. It's hard, it's uncomfortable, mm. uh, but that's what it's going to take. And the attitude amongst people is now that they won't mind kind of giving you their money for your product or working for you, but they will ask, what else are you doing? How far are you going with um, your efforts to, to correct um, the injustices and, and dismantle the, the, the racism um, and the system that perpetuates that? Mm. I saw an interesting um, tweet yesterday from a, a black career coach called Letitia Bird on, obviously on Twitter. And it just says, it's a very pertinent to your point, gatekeepers, black women don't need more mentors. We need access, jobs, contracts and money. And it's kind of, it's quite a harsh truth that, isn't it? It's not about putting your arm, it's not just about putting your arms around um, black people and people of colour. It's about it's about really um, going much, much deeper than that. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And I think for all those brands that did post a black square um, back in June, I think it was now, or maybe even earlier than that, with Black History Month um, beginning next week, hopefully they've had time to really think about what what else they should be doing in a, in a more meaningful way um, and doing the the kind of, inquiries into um, their their diversity quotas um, and, and how much representation they have, whether there's a, a pay gap, what they can do to actually um, get more people from underrepresented uh, backgrounds into their business and make sure that they stay there, importantly as well. It's one, it's one thing hiring them, but then mm-hmm. have you set up the environment in which those people can thrive um, and and kind of develop a, a a really meaningful and rewarding career. Um, yeah, that inclusion piece is always it seems to be a kind of a greater tripping up point than the the 
diversity of hires piece, doesn't it? Actually creating an environment that is um, truly inclusive seems to be a real challenge in, in our industry. It really is. And I think for, for, for so long, there's been this drive, um, particularly among the, the, the kind of advertising and, and marketing agency um, sector to hire more diversely. Um, but quite often it's just a, a box ticking exercise um, and there's a bit of PR around it. Um, I think very few agencies have actually gone as far as kind of being transparent about where their, their failings um, are um, and what they're going to do about it. I think in the UK it was only Lucky Generals that, that um, opened up their um, kind of books, mm. as, as it were, to, to show where they were falling short and, and that they really meant uh, it when they said they were going to do things differently. Um, it's, this stuff is really hard, but because it's hard doesn't mean that it doesn't need, need to be done. You know, arguably um, it's the other way around, isn't it? You do it because it's hard, not, not despite it's, it's um, the toughness of getting this right. Now, to your point about Black History Month, your second tip is about education. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to you've got to make sure that your workforce are aware of of the the injustices and the the, the struggle that Black people have, have faced for for hundreds of years. Mm. Um, I know there are companies out there that are doing kind of um, education days, giving people a day off to, to to help kind of gain more knowledge on on what people have gone through and and, and what that looks like, so that actually um, they have that context, they have that awareness. Um, and they also then can receive training on, on how to kind of check your biases when it comes to talking to colleagues, hiring, um, working with um, clients that may be um, of a different mindset to you. Like, that's really, really important. It's, there's so much out there in, in the press and on social media about the subject, mm. but what is it? as an employer that you're doing to make sure that actually the values that you want your company to, to, to adhere to your employees are, are equipped with the knowledge to be able to do so. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real problem. This education piece, isn't it? Cause it's just not on the curriculum. I mean, you're a bit younger than me, but it's just, it's never come up at any point in my educational journey personally at all. And it's, it feels like, I feel really bad about that. It's like you don't know what you don't know. And then when you do start understanding the issues, it's, it's, it's quite a shock that this, this kind of, you know, it hasn't come up at any point. It is indeed, isn't it? And there's been a lot of um, kind of coverage of the, the statues that are being toppled um, in various cities um, around the world, not just in the UK. Yeah. Um, and the, the role of Britain in colonialism um, and how our history has been kind of taught to, to children for decades uh, in a way that portrays us in a, in a much more positive uh, light than we perhaps ought to be. Um, and I think that the same really applies for, for brands. Like everyone knows that... Um, that brands may have tripped up in the past, but acknowledging that isn't a sign of weakness. If anything, it puts you in a, in a, in a stronger um, footing because it shows this is, this is where we messed up and we realise that and actually 
we're going to change for the better. Um, there's no, there's no um, better example of that than the NFL, who, after a very long time, decided to change their policy on letting players take a knee uh, over in the States before games during the anthem. Um, Colin Kaepernick, of course, has been at the centre of that um, particular um, furore. Um, so the same goes for, for education. Like, why can't we say, actually, we should probably shine a light on, on, on the role that our nations have played in, in um, kind of propping up this system that has made um, life very difficult for a huge amount of people around the world, right? There's no, there's, there's no ability in that. And I, I mean, I'm guessing for brands that have roots in some of this injustice, some legacy brands, then kind of being transparent about that part of their own history and, you know, that the, the need to make reparation for that is, is, is crucial rather than hiding it or pretending, you know, or diminishing it in any way. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's no better time to reflect on those past mistakes, apologise for them, commit to doing better. Mm. Whether you do that or not, the inquests are going to take place. So it's better to be open and honest about where you have gone wrong in the past, as opposed to people pointing that out for you and you being out of, like not being in control of, of of that message. And like any relationship, it's never too late to, to ask for forgiveness. And just going back to your point about money and investment, one of your, one of your other suggestions is, is, is a kind of a deliberate systemic quest to get more black people into senior roles and really kind of prioritize that is why is that so difficult why is the senior role thing such a hard nut to crack it is a tough one to crack um and that's i think that's for a few reasons first of all there are of course the the biases and the prejudices that are present in companies where people that are suitable for for those jobs are simply overlooked Mm. second i think they're just there's a lack of talent in in the industry um because black people um and many other ethnic minorities are underrepresented in in the industry so that means you're going to have a a smaller pool of people to to select from so you've got to look at it as the action has to be from from both ends right it's got to be top down but it's also going to be at grassroots making sure that people um, from the black community aspire to be in the creative industries and the marketing industries and that actually there's a, there's a place for them there. Um, so um, I've seen a lot of kind of good initiatives. There's the, um, uh, the Brixton Finishing School here in the UK that have um, done some great work at um, getting, getting young black talent um, into programs that um, giving them a platform to to then be picked up by by creative businesses yeah this does feel like it it has to go back a lot further than the point of hire doesn't it again it goes back to schools essentially yeah it does again it comes down to to education like are 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 young black people aware that they could have a career in the marketing industry right and that they they fit there and that they're welcome there. Um, it's starting to happen more. Um, there are, like I said, the Brixton Finishing School that, that is helping 
um, helping do that. But it's got to, it's got to, it's just got to be more frequent. And do you think? Do you think we need to basically enter a period of positive discrimination at a senior level, so that those role models start to appear more frequently for younger black people thinking or, or looking at the industry? Uh, I think it's a it's a double-edged sword. Um, positive discrimination. I think it's probably not quite understood well enough um, and has negative associations as well. Of course, businesses want to have the right person for the job, the one that um, has the right talents and the ability to do the job as better than anyone else. Now, um, does that mean you overlook people that aren't from um, kind of the black community or, or, or other um, racial backgrounds? I don't think it can work like that. I think you've got to just make sure that you're doing, um, you're going the extra mile to make sure that the pool of candidates that you're kind of trying to find people from has equal representation. And that's going to get people into the top jobs more frequently. Um, you, I don't think you can can just go and and select a short list of black candidates because you you think you have to hire a black candidate. Mm. So let's look at some let's look at some one of my favorite things always in the industry which why I really missed can this year was um I love looking at the work. I really love seeing it. Um and uh you're going to run us through a few really kind of good examples of where really high profile brands have have got this right. In terms yeah, of so I've got, I've got, that's right. So there's, there's, there's three brands that have kind of caught my eye um, and stood out because what they've done, um, like we've been discussing, has gone, gone beyond just uh, a marketing message. And um, the first one of those is, is a campaign from Twitter. Um, now, there's probably a few people saying, hey, aren't Twitter complicit in funding hate on their platform? Um, which is why some advertisers decided to boycott it as well as Facebook back in July. Yeah. Uh, and yes, they, they have a role to play in that. Um, they are um, very much um, kind of at the center of, of, of that, that issue. Um, but in recent months, they've taken a, a progressively stronger stance on content moderation. And I think they, they should be commended um, in, in a small way at least, for, for the move they made by putting warning labels on misleading content from the likes of um, good old Donald. Um, they stuck their neck out um, in that sense, and, and that probably played a role in um, the Facebook boycott happening because it was just before that. Um, now, from a comms perspective, um, Twitter did a massive outdoor campaign um, to show that it was really stepping into its purpose. Um, by amplifying and centering the voices um, of the black community, which, as we know, has historically been pushed to the margins of, of public conversation. Um, so they use real tweets from uh, prominent black um, users around the world and then magnified them onto billboards um, in cities in the US where major protests um, for the Black Lives Matter movement were taking place. So. Tweets like protesters are, aren't trying to start a race war, we're trying to end one. Mm. Um, and messages of encouragement like hold each other up and hold each other accountable. Um, 
So I think it was a really smart campaign because it amplifies the perspectives and the thoughts of people who are sharing these intense feelings about what's happening in the world today. Um, the timing was perfect. Um, it was it launched on June Juneteenth, um, which is uh, which marks the the emancipation of people um, that are, that were enslaved. Mm. Um, the interplay between social media and and billboards was really interesting. I think that was the driving force behind it expanding its reach beyond the cities where the the billboards actually lived. We've seen something similar in the UK um, from Led by Donkeys um, and their crowdsourced campaign to hold the UK government to account over Brexit. Um, yeah, powerful stuff. I mean, given given that Twitter, you know, has that platform and has that content, it's um, and they're really striking billboards as well. I mean, they're absolutely massive. It's like you couldn't blow up a tweet any any bigger. Um, I would recommend everyone goes Google them if you haven't actually seen them because it's really, it's really, it's actually quite moving, isn't it? Seeing those, hearing those voices. Yeah, it really is. Awesome. And there's some great copywriting, um, like in amongst all the, yeah. the bile um, that you can find on Twitter. Um, there are some incredibly great um, copywriters and they pick the best um, voices and the, and the best messages that were on the platform. Um, and then on, on the platform itself, they, they wrapped up the conversation with additional content from black artists and one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Um, so, yeah, it was it was powerful and it lived, like I said, online, but then also in the uh, in the physical world in those cities. Um, throwing the fact that the campaigns led by um, Twitter's global director of culture and community, Godis Rivera. Um, she's a magnificent female black leader um, at the heart of the company, which for me is just another sign that they're committed about making a difference to this issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really powerful stuff. Tell me about your second nomination for a brand getting this stuff right. Um, so I'd be remiss not to talk about Ben & Jerry's. Um, definitely worth talking about. And along with Patagonia, um, Ben & Jerry's really set the gold standard when it comes to brand activism. Um, yeah. And they certainly haven't shied away from, um, from the Black Lives Matter um, and racism um, issues at, at hand. And it helps having a, a global head of activism, um, especially one that's worked for Bernie Sanders and Greenpeace. Yeah, that's proper activism, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Um, and then, of course, they've got civic-minded founders that instilled the company with that progressive culture and mindset from the very beginning. Mm. So it's because of that that Ben Jerry's can discuss social issues with um, a fluency and credibility that other brands just just aren't able to do. Yeah, and they, they, you know they really look it in the eye. I mean, their statement on dismantling white supremacy on their website is really—it's really pokey stuff from a you know friendly consumer brand, isn't it? Oh gosh, yeah, it's incredibly powerful. Um, if you compare that to the other kind of watered down, slightly vague statements that we've seen from brands, um, they certainly don't skirt around the subject with a headline like "We must dismantle white supremacy." Yeah, um, silence is not an option. As a subhead, I mean, it's 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 big, it's bold, and it's 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 brave, but it doesn't feel like they're being. Um, controversial for the sake of it it feels very as you said you know that, that it's it's embedded in their 
values as a business from the off, isn't it? This kind of activism. Absolutely. And what's, what's great about it is that it lays out kind of concrete steps for helping dismantle racism. Um, steps that are there to help consumers take very specific actions regarding what it thinks that they need to do. Um, they make it easy for consumers to link directly to petitions and donation sites and to learn about um, events that they could get involved in. Um, and they use really strong calls to action to, to urge them on, right? They're the pros at selling ice cream. And what they've done is taken their ability to, to market ice cream and applied that to activism um, when it comes to, to racial equality. And then are you going to talk to me about Doritos next? Yeah, so Doritos is, is an interesting one. Um, so they released an ad um, that debuted during the, the Black Entertainment Awards back in June. Um, the ad is it's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, but what's more interesting is that in conjunction with the ad, Doritos is donating $650,000 worth of advertising space in the US, um, including billboards and murals, which will be filled with work from artists that have been identified in partnership with the Black Lives Movement. They'll also contribute to, to the artist's work and donate money directly to the Black Lives Matter movement itself. Um, but Doritos is owned by PepsiCo. And what I thought was really interesting is that PepsiCo have made uh, a not insignificant commitment um, of $400 million um, wow. fund um, for several initiatives that are going to be centered around racial justice and equality. Um, the PepsiCo chairman, uh, Ramon LaGuarta, said that the stark need for this kind of commitment was driven by a letter, driven home by a letter that he received from a, a long-time PepsiCo colleague, um, which talked about his experiences of racial bias within the company um, and urged him to take really tangible action to, to build something better. Um, so they're taking this huge pot of money, um, they're going to spend it over five years, and really it's going to be aimed at lifting up black communities, um, incre increasing black representation um, at PepsiCo, and a host of other initiatives designed to address the issue um, that we're being that we're faced with so I think it's a great example of a huge conglomerate like PepsiCo um, doing something meaningful mm. in addition to some interesting marketing as well um, to support the cause um, and then the owner like the top the top dog um, of the owner coming out uh, on record and saying that structural Big structural changes are required right now. So I'm going to back that up with, with some serious investment. Yeah, well, it's back to your first point, isn't it? They really have put their money where their mouth is. And some of the art coming out of that initiative is just stunning. I mean, it's, it's like giving, you know, young black artists that sort of platform and backing and exposure. is It's really, uh, it's, it's really extraordinary for, for a conglomerate, as you said, as enormous as, as PepsiCo. It is, and I think similar to the, the Twitter um, example, it's providing a platform for, for black people um, to, to get the, the spotlight um, where previously that they've been sidelined, um, unfairly so. So it's, yeah, more of that um, is what I think we will see and 
that we would like to see. Now, there's a dose of irony, um, given that five or six years ago it was Pepsi, um, PepsiCo-owned brand, of course, yeah. that was at the, the centre of the Kendall Jenner faux pas. Um, oh, yes. I won't go into detail that on that because I'm sure there's lots of other podcasts that took that down. Um, and then some, but yeah, a little bit of irony because I think Kendall Jenner is meant to be depicted in a in a Black Lives Matter protest, um, isn't she? Yes, I mean yes, it is. That is that is ironic. I mean Alanis Morissette would definitely include that example if she was remaking that song in twenty twenty. I think. <laughs> um uh do, how do you see this those are three really good examples i would like i would recommend anybody who hasn't come across those to go and go and have a look at the twitter doritos and ben and jerry's efforts online because it's really it really does sock you between the eyes um when you see the work close up how do you see this all panning out amar over the next you know couple of years it's, i mean it doesn't feel to me like this is a flash in the pan I mean, it's definitely a moment but it feels like it's sustainable now like it has it has legs and it will actually lead to change is that the sense you get too i really hope so um like like you say it's got to be it's got to be sustained this this level of attention and action um has has got to ramp up not 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 decrease and mm. Black Lives Matter, Matter isn't a trend, right? It's a huge societal issue that is going to take a very long, long time to correct. Um, for me, the moment that we have a black bond and there is no racist kind of bile on social media sites um, in, in criticism of it is the moment that we will have made it. But I think that's a... <laughs> Uh, a far away prospect um, at the moment and it will be John Boyega for me not Idris Elba. Um, okay well that's John Boyega's got Amar's vote for the first black bond. Exactly but no I, on, a, on a more serious note I think it's a moment um, there is some really encouraging change taking place but of course this is all against the backdrop of a, a global pandemic um, mm which is another huge crisis. Um, but I think racism as an issue is going to outlast COVID for sure. Um, and it will still be here when, when COVID has gone away, which I'm sure it will um, not go away, but be, be fixed soon. Um, so for the people that are, are listening to this podcast that are trained in the business of persuasion, if they just step across the line, that's, between right and wrong, neutrality isn't an option anymore because that perpetuates the, the problem further. Uh, people in the marketing industry that work for brands as well are in a unique position to actually push the movement forward and make positive change more effectively than, than ever before. Okay, powerful stuff to finish on, Amar. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I'll, let you get, I'll let you get back to the little one and thank you so much for running us through those it's some really 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 exciting work going on and it's it's good to see that um you know brands are rising to the challenge for the time being at least and i, I hope you're right that um it's will it will be resolved but probably not for some time um thank you so thank much you. for joining me on the provoke podcast thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure you've been listening to the provoke podcast Brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.